It's something for nothing. The Rush Fan Cast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, I am giddy today. <laughs> giddy like a schoolboy? I'm giddy like a schoolboy. We've got another great guest for Rush fans today. I can't wait to introduce her to everybody. But first, you can find us on Twitter at Rush Fancast. Instagram, we are at the Rushcast. Email the Rushcast at gmail.com. The bass intro and outro. That's Lex, Jerry. You know him. I do. Subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast app. And Jerry, we've got a great interview, so why don't we get to your email first, and then we'll get talking. Okay, well, this is from a listener named Ove from Finland. Oh, nice. Hey, Ove. He says, hey, Stephen Jerry, having the feeling that you know the guys in Rush seems to be common among Rush fans, although you have never met them. I'm beginning to have the same feeling about you two. Really? I found out about the Something for Nothing podcast only three months ago in mid-May 2021. Being a longtime Rush fan, I decided to listen to every episode. You have to be a big Rush fan to listen to every episode. <laughs> yes. And guess what? I have now finished the marathon and gone through each and every one of the 102 episodes you have made so far. <laughs> Call me a lunatic, because I guess that's what I am. You're a lunatic. You're a lunatic. Thanks for the company when getting through a boring, repetitive process at work. Thanks for being with me on my runs. Thanks for talking about one of my favorite bands while I work in the garden. You have helped me develop a greater appreciation for albums I did not care much about, which I love, by the way. Yeah, that's fantastic, really. One example being a show of hands, which I, for some reason, always considered to be a very boring live album. Please forgive me. I know better now. <laughs> you are forgiven. It's obvious that the more you learn about something, the more you will appreciate it. That is certainly true when it comes to music. I am a Northern Lights photographer, and I tell the true stories about my photos for the very same reason. And I recently discovered that Rush sings about the Northern Lights in Mystic Rhythms. How awesome is that? And then he attached a photo, which is a fantastic. I'm going to put it up on our Instagram account soon. And then he says, thanks again for the fantastic podcast and greetings from Finland. Ove. And for anyone who's interested he has a free ebook with his Northern Lights photo in it. Oh, wow. Which you can get at www.nordic-landscape.com slash ebook. That's great. Ove, thanks so much for the email. We really appreciate you listening to over 100 hours of us talking. Yeah, in only a couple of months, it seems. So good on him. That's incredible. <laughs> He's stronger than we are, Steve. He certainly is. And Jerry, we've got a great guest today, as I mentioned, on the podcast, award-winning singer and songwriter and multi-instrumentalist based in Portland, Oregon, currently collaborating on an album with Alex Lifeson and Andy Curran. The band is called Envy of None. Maya Wynn, welcome to the Rush Fancast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. We usually start by asking our guests, Maya, their Rush origin story. When did you first hear Rush's music and how did you become a fan? Well, I think the first time I heard Rush's music, I was a very small child. Um, my dad was a, a big Rush fan and he used to play moving pictures in the car when I was little and when we were on road trips and stuff. So I have some pretty early memories of Tom Sawyer and Limelight and <laughs> that album in particular. But I think that was really my introduction. And I, I remember when I was... 13, I wanted a drum kit for my birthday and I wanted to be a rock drummer. I went through a really big rock phase and um, there's definitely some rush in there and some heavy drumming. I would not say that I was anywhere near uh, Neil's level at all, <laughs> but I got out some good, some good angsty teenage energy listening to rush. So that was good. <laughs> and that's what happened to all of us. We, some yeah. of us still do that. Some of us still have that angsty energy to get out of. <laughs> so what about your origin story, Maya? How did you get started with music? How old were you? I was three years old when I first started taking piano lessons, um, and I loved it. I fell in love with learning music and playing music from a really young age. Um, I never really learned how to read music very well. I can do it very slowly, but I'm very much a visual learner. Um, and I would just watch, I'd watch people play and then I would play it. And I'm still that way. If I can see somebody 
do something and watch it and study it. I'm very much a, a good mimicker and, a, and visual learner. And once I, I learned enough of the piano to be able to improvise, I started writing my own music. Um, I think I wrote my first song when I was six or seven. Wow. Um, I don't know that it was good. I, I, you shouldn't be that impressed. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it really, it just, it was magical. And I, I think I just fell in love with the process of learning and, and creating. And you have videos on YouTube from years back. So you've been <laughs> heavily writing your own original songs for a long time. When did that start in earnest? Yeah, I think when I was around... 11 or 12, I started to really try writing songs for real. And I think, you know, it started how I imagine a lot of people start, which is cheesy love songs that don't really relate to anything in reality in your life when you're 11. Um, but <laughs> it, it grew from there. And I really, um, I spent a lot of time by myself uh, when I was in high school and um, late middle school and I would come home and just play and sing and there was nobody home so I could just be loud and annoying and weird and I would improvise songs and come up with lyrics and it really helped me process things emotionally and I think it really helped that there was nobody there to judge me <laughs> or any of the sounds that I was making. And it just gave me the space to sort of explore and create. And I think that's really where it developed and grew. And you were on piano back then? Yeah, piano. And I started teaching myself guitar um, and mandolin around that age as well and drums. <laughs> so when I called you a multi-instrumentalist, I was kind of underselling it, wasn't I? How many different instruments do you play? Um. I play around 15 or 16. Wow. Um, there are that many instruments? <laughs> yeah, there's more. There's more I want to learn. I just need to save up money to buy them. I have too many instruments. I have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> the background you have, it looks like you're in a music store, but this is your home, correct? <laughs> yeah, this is my music room. If you could see about five feet that way, it would just, you would see a wall full of instruments. It's pretty ridiculous, honestly. But there's everything, pretty much anything you can think of. Two organs right over there, uh, piano. I have over 87 instruments. I counted and was ashamed of myself. <laughs> <laughs> At least you have the space for them. That's really the important thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, I'm running out of space. Um, my room and my bed, if I could, I would replace my bed with more instruments, but I can't. I'm at a point where I'm kind of having to choose between sleep and another piano. <laughs> you could get a guitar-shaped bed, maybe. Yes, that'd be great. <laughs> well, there's also the, the unexplored ceiling. You maybe get some guitar yes. mounts for the ceiling. You turn the ceiling into an instrument. Right. Oh, yeah, that, that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, Maya, we talked to Andy Curran, I know you've been working with him on this project, Envy of None. Can you tell us how you met Andy and how you got started working with him? Yeah, um, so it's kind of a funny story. I won a song contest, I think that was in 2019, 2016. I've lost all track of time. I don't even know <laughs> what day it is anymore. We all have. But somewhere in the general vicinity of the last four years, we... Uh, got in contact through this contest I won and I won a mentorship Zoom call with Andy and neither of us really knew what that meant. Uh, <laughs> we just, we jumped on the Zoom call. He's really nice. Um, as you know from talking to him, he's just super mm -hmm. kind and you wouldn't know that he's had the journey that he's had just from talking to him as a person. He's just super, super kind and he was very um, supportive and um, I had one song that he had listened to that he really liked, and it was a collaboration I did with a musician called Elephant, and he produces all of my my music, and he's been helping me with the vocal production of a lot of these songs for Envy of None as well. But it was very industrial, sort of just different vibe, and Andy really enjoyed it, and he's like, you should do more of that. And he started talking about this other project he was working on, and I think he was talking about how they were still looking for a vocalist and I don't really remember, but I offered to sing on some stuff, not really thinking a whole lot about it. I didn't really know 
a whole lot about who Andy was at that point. I was very naive <laughs> about the whole thing. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, if you need a vocalist, let me know. And he took me up on the offer and I, I knew he was a musician. I knew he was from Canada. I knew he worked in the music industry. You know, it was very like basic details that I knew about him. And it sounded like a cool project and he sent me some stuff and I, I finished writing the lyrics for it. He had a couple ideas and I wrote a bunch of vocal pieces and recorded vocals and it turned out really cool and we were both really excited about it. But yeah, that's sort of the, the long story of how we started working together. And how did that suddenly become working with Alex? <laughs> was that a, a longer process or was it just like you did these, <laughs> these recordings with Andy and they came out so great and did Andy show them to Alex? Just like, hey, you got to listen to this great stuff. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's what's really funny about it. So he called me one day and I still remember where I was when he called me because it was such a mind-blowing conversation for me because again, I was super naive to the whole thing. I was just like, yeah, it's my buddy Andy. He's a musician in Canada. We're working on this thing. <laughs> and then he called me one day. I was in the parking lot of my doctor's office and he called me out of the blue and was like, hey, so I showed this to my buddy Alex and he really likes it and he wants to play on it. And I was like, cool, you know, but I, I had no idea that it was Alex Lifeson, you know, and he could tell, you know, <laughs> yeah. I was just like, yeah, cool, Alex. Yeah. Um, and he's like, you know, Alex Lifeson from Rush, right? You know, the band Rush. And obviously I was like, just my whole heart just like dropped in that moment because I just had no idea that was even a possibility and it was super exciting you know i felt like i don't know it was just like a magical moment of like whoa this amazing person is going to be you know part of this project and obviously andy's such an amazing human being and he's so humble he just like he didn't even let on the entire time we were working together i think maybe he enjoyed the fact that i just didn't know anything at all you know just like <laughs> wanted to surprise me and i think it was just such a cool moment to to hear about that whole connection and you know obviously as we've worked together throughout the last couple of years i've heard so many amazing stories from him about working with Alex and just really incredible. Like you can't even believe that you're talking to somebody who has experienced these incredible things. And I definitely had a few moments. I went to Toronto and uh, recorded a couple of songs and got to, that's where I first met Alex in person and met Andy in person and Alf, who's the, the fourth part of this that doesn't get talked about enough because he's amazing and super humble. But I met all of them and it was just an incredible experience. And then just the stories that they're telling and it just, it's mind blowing to feel like, wow, I'm suddenly connected to this in some small way. And I'm just like, I'm some random girl from Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really cool. It's really special to be a part of it. So you mentioned your dad is a Rush fan. How did that conversation <laughs> go when you went back home and said, hey, dad? It was really, I think I... I joke, I, I joke that it's the first time I feel like my dad really believed that I could do this as a job, you know, like he's, he's very, uh, you know, he's a computer programmer. I come from a family of like engineers and professors and, you know, very solid, smart career choices. And <laughs> I think my parents, you know, understandably worry about me pursuing a career in music. And so it was very satisfying for me to be like, hey, dad guess what? And I don't think he believed right. me at first. I think there was definitely that air of like, what? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Um, it must be another Alex Lifeson. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was really cool. It was really cool to see the look on his face and see that, like, I don't know, it, it makes, it makes all of those like struggles leading up to that moment feel like worth it, <laughs> you know, like, Hey, he gets it. And I got to really have some some bragging rights for a long time. <laughs> so when you first met Alex and, and Andy in person, is that when you started recording right away? Did you share lyrics with them? What was that meeting about? Yeah, so we had been making music for a while. We had, I think, two or three songs done. You were doing this like virtually? Yes, yeah, so I'd record here. And over the course of this project, my own recording situation has leveled up a ton. 
you know, when I first started, I was working in like audition. You know, I don't know if you know that as a program, but it's not really a, mm -hmm. a great Steve does. Recording. That's what we're recording on right now. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not, not great. great. It's not great for like <laughs> studio uh, recordings. Um, <laughs> but uh, I've definitely leveled up from there, but it really started just back and forth. I would send vocal stems. Alex would send his recordings that he did and Andy would send his stuff. And then, you know, Alf is the one who's really been mixing everything together. And we decided that I should go and meet everybody and we would just knock out the last of the recordings because at that point it was just an ep we were just going to do four songs and yeah so i went and we recorded vocals i think for two or three songs while i was there we went in the studio and it was just really special it was really special to get to meet everybody in person finally i was incredibly nervous we went to a really fancy dinner that like it's the first time i went to a dinner where they had those like white plates and the tiny portions and you have no idea what you're eating <laughs> it's so <You're> cool right. <laughs> Lots of things like drizzled on top in different patterns. Exactly. I still have no idea what we ate, but it was great. Um, <laughs> I was super nervous the whole time. And Alex and I had worked on a different song together. He had asked me to record vocals for a song he did with Marco Miniman, who's a, another prog rock drummer. And it's called Lover's Calling. And they similarly had a, they had a different vocalist, but it wasn't quite meshing and he and I had already been working on Envy of None together and he asked me to record for that and um, turned out really beautiful. And he was talking to me at dinner about that song and he started to tear up a bit. And that was just like shocking for me to have somebody of his caliber and his experience level and to be that moved by something that I did was really touching for me. And we had a really heartfelt conversation about that song. And I think we really kind of have a really special sort of musical connection you know he's obviously a very kind and silly person and i think half of our email exchanges are just random and silly and have nothing to do, to do with music but i think whenever we are talking about the music he and i are almost always on the same page and it's really cool to see that i don't know we have this sort of like musical connection i think that's really cool and feels like a weird sixth sense <laughs> telepathic connection maybe he doesn't feel that way maybe that's just me <laughs> <laughs> well you know i was watching all of your videos and all the things i could find you definitely not only are you a multi-instrumentalist but you play a lot of different guitars yeah <laughs> just in general um i'm thinking of the one the harp guitar is that what it's called yes it's like fretless on top in a beautiful arc and then a normal guitar on the bottom what is that <laughs> instrument about i was just dying to f figure out how one plays that it looks more intimidating than like i think it's a lot of that instrument is just intimidating people with the look of it but it's really not that complicated to play like if you can play guitar it's sort of just like if you added a bass to a guitar but the bass notes really just resonate so you have to sort of mute them at the right time but it's just an extra pluck here and there but it's uh <laughs> there's other people that play a lot a lot more skillfully than i do but i really just i love playing it. it has such a beautiful resonance to it and i love anything that has low powerful resonance like that's part of the reason i love playing the piano because i think as a small person <laughs> it makes me feel really powerful <laughs> to like have a big low resonant instrument in my hands that I can like, you know, cause I can't do that vocally. I have a pretty, you know, softer feminine voice. I'm a pretty small person. So whenever I can get loud and angry, I, I'm happy to do it. <laughs> yeah. I brought up that guitar because Alex is known for playing unusual stringed instruments, especially on later Rush albums. I think he did it. Is it a mandolin solo, Steve, on one song? Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, <laughs> just something just unheard of, like, uh, in Rush songs. And it just is so exciting to hear him playing different things. Um, I think you and he might have that in common. Yes. Just this curiosity. <laughs> That's what I love about working with him is that, you know, Andy is pretty squarely in the rock sort of alternative genre. But Alex... Mm -hmm and I will do anything. And so sometimes we'll go off on these tangents and he's sending me stems with banjo and mandolin. And 
I'm, you know, we're recording all this stuff that's way different than what we should be for this project. And Andy will have to sort of rein <laughs> us in, like, you know, this really doesn't fit on this album, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> None of these other. Maybe like that's for the next through. one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's what I love about about Alex is that he really doesn't turn his nose up at anything. You know, if he hears like this song would be really great with mandolin or banjo or mandala or we both bonded over playing the saz, which is like a Turkish version of the banjo, and he had a great story about it. And something that I really I do enjoy a lot about working with him is that he's just. He's so creative and open to different things and trying new ideas. And he wants to just have fun and explore. And he's not going to turn his nose up at anything. He just does it. And that's that's really cool to me. Yeah, he's been described by uh, more than one person as a mad scientist. Yeah. Yeah, he really is. <laughs> <laughs> or, or a sonic landscaper. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Andy brought that up. He's a sonic landscaper. <laughs> That's exactly what he is. Driving up in his little truck. <laughs> so, Maya, in addition to doing the vocals for Envy of None, are you also playing other instruments on these tracks that we're going to hear in a few months? A little bit. Most of the songs are usually pretty full by the time I'm recording vocals for them. So there's, there's a couple songs where I recorded a couple layers of I put a keyboard through a guitar amp and did some weird layers for one song. And then I added some like heavy drum samples to one of them. But for the most part, it's all Andy and Alf and Alex doing the landscaping. And then I just come <laughs> and do, do the vocals. And I do a lot of vocal layers for these songs. Like I get somewhere between like... 20 and 50 or 60 layers of vocals sometimes wow. on these songs like they're there's some pretty thick <laughs> vocal arrangements you know not all of them are that intense but depending on the song i've definitely there's some really trippy and weird stuff and some of them have been really challenging honestly to find vocal pieces that work and there's one song where i emailed alex and i was like i can't figure out is this in a minor key or a ma major key and he just said yes you know and it was like <laughs> one of those things that was like i couldn't figure it out and i finally like it's it is it goes between both keys and that's just some of them are so so cool and and different and it really is sort of like a a mental exercise to try to like figure out vocal pieces that fit and don't conflict with things and like flow in and out and it's been really fun to, and challenging at times, but really fun. Yeah, I have this quote uh, from Andy about the project. He says, it's like if you can picture maybe Massive Attack with a little bit of some electronic stuff with Nine Inch Nails influences and this beautiful, fragile, sweet voice and some very, very dark, heavy sounds. That's what the project sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> can you translate that for us? What is that? I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what that means. Yeah, so, it, I mean, honestly, each song is very different. I'd say that, for the most part, it is that sort of, there's lots of synth layers, and there's lots of guitar layers that don't sound like guitars, but there is, you know, there's guitar layers as well that do sound like guitars. <laughs> um, but it is, for the most part, like, heavy, dark, but not like, it's not necessarily like in-your-face smack you around kind of heavy it's like i don't know kind of like deep in your soul darkness mm -hmm. kind of heavy <laughs> gritty and i've gotten the heaviest i've ever been vocally on a few of these songs there's a song called enemy that's one of my favorites that's really just like i listen to it and i want to punch things you know <laughs> and in a good way <laughs> right and but there's also some really sentimental and sweet songs there's one song that i wrote um called old strings and i sent it to them and they sort of reworked a lot of the instrumentation and it's a very sweet song it's very um i don't know very sincere and it's not as heavy it's it's very beautiful and um i don't know there's just so much variety and there's a song that alex wrote called western sunset that's just really beautiful and it's a little bit of an outlier because it's not so it's not heavy at all it's just just beautiful so i think it's you know there's going to be something for everyone on there i hope 
I saw an interview with Andy and he called it country Western soft, placid and big sky. The Western yeah. sunset song you just talked about. Yeah. That's a good description. It's just really beautiful. It's a really touching song. I think when people hear it, it's going to be one of those that just hits you right in the heart. We've heard the two instrumental tracks that Alex released on his website, Cabell Blues and Spy House. I understand you wrote lyrics and are singing on those as well, right? Yeah. Cabell Blues is the one that I was struggling with as far as the major and minor keys. Um, <laughs> and yeah, Spy House, I'm also, Spy House is the one I'm currently finishing the vocals for and both of the songs I love and they but they started out as instrumental pieces that Alex wrote and so trying to find vocals that felt like they fit in there was a bit challenging you know each song has had a different process a few of them were just little ideas that Andy had that weren't quite finished songs that we sort of built together and then I would you know write the, the lyrics or most of the lyrics and some of them he had almost all of the lyrics done and I just sort of tweaked some things and each song just has a different process and a different feel and a different sort of amount of influence from each person and so it's been really interesting to see how they all come together and still feel like a cohesive album. And what different processes do you have to go through as a as a writer to write lyrics to an instrumental that, that's supposed <laughs> to be an instrumental that now demands lyrics? I think the, like with Cabo Blues, it was easy to be inspired lyrically. I think it's such an interesting song and he clearly was connected to sort of this darker side of it. And so it was easier to write lyrics for, but Spy House is more challenging for me. And Andy's so funny. He always has like a really specific like story reference he wants for a song. And he searched up this house in the u.s that like the russian embassy occupied this house and like was spying on people in the u.s it was like a really specific story he's like use this for inspiration um <laughs> and like he turned it into like this love song and we've been going back and forth but it's been harder to find something that feels like it matches that feeling you know lyrics can be so hard you know, you don't want something that's too on the nose. You don't want something that's cheesy. You got to find that balance of like heartfelt, you know, real connection, but also not overly sincere or right. overly cheesy or too on the nose. You got to find that like balance where it feels like it just fits. And, you know, there's definitely stages in a few of these songs where it's like, wow, okay, that's way too on the nose or we're going into the same pattern of like, I think the word shadow is in almost every single song. And I'm like, dang it, I need to stop, stop going to that same place. But it is, it's, it's a different process to try to find something that like, it's like the, it's harder when it's the last puzzle piece, you know, like it's easier when you have more room to create a shape, but like when you have to fit in this very specific little shape and make it work, it's harder to like contort. <laughs> I guess that's the, that's the difference between, you know, like, uh, originality and relatability, right? Mm -hmm. Somewhere in between those two things is where people are going to be able to grab onto something. Yeah, exactly. Universal truths, but still personal. Right. So as a guitarist yourself and a very accomplished one, what stands out to you the most about Alex's playing? I mean, the thing that I love about Alex's playing is that he's always finding ways to create new textures. You know, he can make a guitar sound like any other instrument almost, you know, and he's always looking for ways to mess with it, you know, like reversing it and changing things in ways that you wouldn't expect. And the other thing is he's, he's actually pretty, he's not the guitarist to go in and do a crazy solo. And when people ask him to do it, he's kind of like, I don't want to do that. You know, like he doesn't want to be that guy that just, goes in and rips a giant solo and makes a song about that solo he wants to find textures that complement and like he's played on he played on my song called fearless girl um and that was a very personal song to me and he created these textures that were so beautiful and almost sounded like a music box at times and um you know and he came in and he talked about wanting to be very delicate with his approach and he just created this texture that just filled in and supported the song and that's so special, especially to me as a as a guitarist, but also as a 
as a singer and a, and a songwriter that because there are so many musicians that come in and they want to just solo and they want to like be this huge presence in a song and there's so many times where all you need is just that one perfect texture and that's means so much more to the song and Alex has such a great way of he's like a chameleon you know he enters a song and he suddenly becomes this perfect thing for that song whatever it is Rush fans like Steve and I have always remarked that he's he's kind of like a lightning rod right for just the perfect thing that a song needs it's like oh there's yeah. just you don't notice it's missing obviously because it's there but if it weren't there the entire song might not even hold together yeah it's like magical glue. <laughs> yes, he is. He's a, a glue god guitarist, something yeah. like that. <laughs> so Maya, we'd love to give Rush fans uh, a taste of your music and play a couple of tracks and have you talk about them, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. So we were really impressed with the song we saw on YouTube, your Tiny Desk Contest submission called Overboard. Really fantastic. So let's play that and then we'll talk about it. Maya, how this contest came about? Yeah, so the Tiny Desk Contest happens every every year, and it's huge. Um, I always have hopes that maybe they'll notice me, but it, I mean, they have over 7,000 submissions every year. And the Tiny Desk Contest is part of NPR. They do it, and the winner gets to play a Tiny Desk concert, which is a huge series that they have with tons of really incredible artists have been at the Tiny Desk. So it's sort of a an annual incredibly huge thing that they do and I've entered every year that I could with the hopes that they'll notice me but <laughs> they did feature one of my entries I think two years ago because I got the very first entry um, and they always feature the very first entry but it is it's such a huge contest and what I like about that contest is that it's they're aiming to find undiscovered independent artists you know and it's genres all over the place. You have hip hop and rap and folk and country and everywhere in between. And, you know, and I, I just, I was practicing with my cellist, Lauren, and we're like, hey, let's just record this. And we were feeling very overwhelmed because we had all these things to do. And that song is very much about that, having too many things to do. And I think it was just that, you know, F you energy of like... <laughs> so done with this and so we we did it and that was the very first take is the only take we did and we're like okay yeah that was it oh. that was the take 
That's so Rush-like. That's what Rush used to do when they recorded Xanadu. It was one take. That's it. And it looks like it might be in the same room you're in now because there seems to be every single possible stringed instrument everywhere behind you. Yes, yeah. That's a good angle of the instrument wall. (laughs) And I noticed that you're playing this guitar. This guitar I wanted to buy a few years ago but never got around to doing is the Bohemian guitars. Those oil can guitars. Yeah. Uh, was there a reason why you chose that for this song? I mean, with contests, you always want to get people's attention. So I thought it was part of it for sure. I think when people see an oil can, they're like, ooh, you know, that's weird. Um, right. But I think it also has a nice tone. It felt like it fit the vibe and the energy. And also all of my other guitars, my electric guitars were not working. So... <laughs> <laughs> Was playing the drum with your feet part of you trying to get the attention of everyone with the, the snare drum with your foot? That was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I I really enjoy playing percussion with my feet. I think it's another one of those things. Maybe it's compensating for my little voice, but I like being able to smack things around and get people's attention. <laughs> so <laughs> it's one of those things. I think it also like, I have a very distractible brain so i think it's one of those things that keeps me focused is like okay here's something for you to do with your feet while you're doing all these other things you know i really really love this song it's just a great song thank you and i hear you talking about your your delicate voice but in this song it's it's got a little bit of grit into it and i i listen to all of your songs all the ones i could find and i think your your voice is definitely has a, like a might be delicate, but it definitely has an authority to it. Thank you. I like that. It's very arresting to me anyway to be like, what's what's coming next? What's she going to sing next? So that might be the, the originality you were talking about earlier. So how did a song like, like Overboard come together like that? Well, I don't remember writing it. <laughs> I've written a lot of songs. Um, <laughs> I know I wrote it. I think I wrote it when I was around 17. And I'm sure I was probably just similarly just feeling overwhelmed and just done. And I think I also, a little bit of that song is also a little bit of a overwhelm and frustration with, I think, I appreciate you saying that I have that authority. It makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. I think that compensation comes from so many people telling me that I have such a soft and delicate voice and such a, you know, you're so fragile. And like, so it just like, it, it, irks me a little bit I think because it's like you know I don't want to be soft I don't want to be delicate I mean I do but I don't you know <laughs> like yeah. I, I want to be strong I want to be able to yell if I need to I want to be able to like be loud and that's definitely been part of my journey as a musician is finding space to be loud I think when I first started I was a lot louder and then as I moved forward and performing I got quieter because I got more self-conscious and I was judging myself more and I would listen to recordings and I would say oh you know if I push myself too much it's not going to sound good I gotta like rein it in and be soft and beautiful and and perfect and I think I'm at a point where I'm coming back and like you know no that's not exactly how it should be it's okay to be loud sometimes it's okay to have emotion it's okay to have energy it's okay to be strong and imperfect sometimes you know and i think that that's like there's a time to be delicate there's a time to be soft and there's also a time to just like yell at people you know (laughs) (laughs) well the other song we wanted to play i think is soft and delicate this one's called when i was a babe Yes. 
Tell us how this came about. I'm not a Hunger Games guy, so fill us in on, on how these songs were written, Maya. Yeah, so the Hunger Games came out with, uh, Suzanne Collins, the writer of the Hunger Games, came out with a prequel book last year. And, you know, as a singer-songwriter in the modern digital age, I'm always looking for um, different ways to connect with new people, to grow my audience you know cover songs are a great way to do that and this book was full of songs the one of the main characters is a singer songwriter and as they were they were just in lyric form and you know I was thinking as I was reading it there's going to be a lot of people reading this that are wondering I wonder how these songs will actually sound so I decided to record my own musical arrangements of these songs and put them out there for people and uh, they got really popular because a lot of people were reading the book and having those similar thoughts of like, I don't know what the song could even sound like. And, you know, as somebody who's very musically inclined, it was easy for me to think, oh, this is a way that the song could sound and I'm going to share this with people. And uh, it was really cool. The character in the book is around my age. And so I did a little bit of like a cosplay as the character and all of these videos that I did. I tried to find a location that was similar to the location in the book. So it really sort of like connected to people who were reading the book. They would watch that video and sort of be transported into that scene in the book. And it was a really cool way to connect with people and gain fans. And um, a lot of those people went and listened to my original music as well. And it was just a really cool project. So I basically wrote all of the music for these covers. And then the lyrics are from the book. It would be great. I'm, I'm not sure how much uh, Suzanne Collins, uh, is her name Suzanne Collins? Mm-hmm. How much she's involved in these covers, but it would be excellent if all of these songs were in a, for a next edition of this book because the songs, I listened to all of the songs and if I hadn't known that, you know, there were this other involvement, I would just be like, wow, this, this is another great song. It's just another <laughs> great song she wrote. Yeah, I really hope so. I think, well, on... The down low, <laughs> the so they're making the movie or they're making the book into a film, and Lionsgate Entertainment is the one who's sort of in charge of that. And they recently sent me an email asking me to take down all of my videos. <laughs> so uh, we're gonna see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> you better but watch think, them quick, then, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Watch them quick in case they disappear. Um, one of those things, but I still think it was worth it. You know, they, they I think collectively they have over 1.5 million views wow. on YouTube. You know, a lot of people have found me through these covers and arrangements. And so it's still been a really cool way to spend the last year of quarantine connecting to people this way. And it's a really great fan base too. A lot of it's like young, um, young people who like to read and they take the time to like watch all your videos and, you know, it's really interesting to see the analytics of like before this, most of my audience was like men between the ages of like 40 and 60. And they would watch maybe 30 seconds of each video, you know, and now my audience has sort of shifted and it's like 60% women between the ages of like 13 and 25, you know, and that's sort of this fan base is sort Mm -hmm. of like, balanced the scales a little bit which is really cool and they'll watch all of the video you know they 
which is pretty rare these days. Most of the time, people will only watch maybe 30 seconds of something before they move on to the next thing. So I, I really appreciate it when people listen to a whole song. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought that story was going to go a different way when you said, on the down low. And I'm like, oh, she's going to be on the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really That's where wish. this is going. It's so funny. There's even a petition that had over like 1,500 signatures from people who wanted me to play this character in the film. Oh, you wow. know, and there's so many people that really wanted me to at least be a part of it in the musical realm. And so I had sort of like gotten my hopes up that was like, okay, somebody's going to like contact <laughs> me. There's no way right. they haven't seen these videos. And then I got the email and it was just like my whole heart sank. Oh, like, no. Well, that's a bummer. <laughs> well, I'm on your side, that's for sure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I understand Alex gave you one of his new signature Epiphone guitars. Is that true? Yeah, it's right there. Oh, look at it. <laughs> <laughs> How did he do designing the guitar, Maya? What makes it so special? Well, so there's these, the piezo pickups that you can switch to. It has two different outputs and you could just do the piezo pickups, which make it sound like an acoustic guitar or you can blend them with, there's like three other pickups in there that make it sound like either a Strat or a Telecaster or a whole bunch of other guitars. And I'm still figuring out what all the buttons and knobs do, but <laughs> there's so many different options. And I think what really makes it special is that you can really do anything. You can get so many different tones out of this guitar. And I really like being able to switch between an acoustic sound and an electric sound because I do have a lot of acoustic sounds and more acoustic songs that I perform live and then being able to switch to an electric song like for Overboard or something that's a little bit heavier just super easily like that is really cool. So yeah, I think you did a great job and it's really pretty and <laughs> uh, nice to look at. And there's a, a whammy bar, which I don't really get the chance to use a whammy bar very often, but it's really fun to look at the strings when you touch the whammy bar and you <laughs> see them wiggle around. Um, <laughs> it's just really fun. And it has uh, locking. I don't know why I'm trying to like show you. Okay. There, there, yeah. there's these uh, things that lock and it keeps it in tune. So it doesn't go out of tune very easily, which is really nice. Yeah, that is nice. It's a great guitar. He did a great job. I wish I was more of a technical guitar expert to tell you all of the reasons why it's great, but it's pretty great. So I'm sure Rush fans would like to hear more of you in anticipation of Envy of None. Where can Rush fans find your music, Maya? You can find my music on YouTube, Spotify. Um, Bandcamp has a lot of unreleased sort of secret treasures including a song I wrote for a children's movie called Timber the Treasure Dog. Um, that's a gem. That's on Bandcamp. You can find that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can find me everywhere online if you can spell my name, which is kind of hard to spell. Um, <laughs> but it's M-A-I-A-H-W-Y-N-N-E. And the most important question, Andy touched on this when we talked to him. He said that you were trying to talk them into doing some live shows once this album comes out. Yeah. How are you doing with that? <laughs> I have a plan. I have a plan to pitch Alex that we just do a few shows and all around really nice golf resorts. Oh, um, oh there you go. That was idea. smart. Very smart. <laughs> that's my plan. So we'll see how it goes. But if we just do a few, I think the main thing is just that touring can be super stressful and exhausting. And you don't really get to enjoy any of the traveling that you're doing because you're just you're sleeping in a moving vehicle and then you're up at night and then you're back in a moving vehicle. And it's pretty just awful. So I understand <laughs> I'm not wanting to do that again. But I think if we just do a few shows and keep it really sort of like relaxed and not just not anything crazy, some maybe more intimate shows, maybe go golfing, <laughs> try to make it just fun and not stressful. And I think he might do it. Well, just let him know that there are some beautiful golf courses here in New Jersey. So he, will. You, you could do five, 10 shows in New Jersey, just, yeah. just, just go to the beautiful golf courses. That's perfect. Well, I know we speak for all Rush fans when we say we cannot wait to hear this Envy of None project. Thanks so much, Maya, for joining us on the Rush Fancast. We really appreciate it. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So, Jared, that was even better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it was great. And I thought it was going to be incredible. Uh, yeah, I could talk to her. <laughs> I probably said this before, but this, this time I mean it. I could talk to her all night about stuff. We She's, could have did three hours and just talked about anything. Yeah, so interesting. I mean, just the, I just really wanted to go and look at all of the guitars that she has behind her. There was another video of her where she's playing something, I swear to God, looks like a guitar made of a, out of a hubcap. It's just this metal-looking guitar. But watching her videos, you can see why Andy and Alex were so impressed with her. The talent just oozes out of her. I know. Her voice is amazing. I don't think it's too soft or anything. I mean, I like, you know me, I like the Indigo Girls, right? So there's, there's nothing weird to me about soft guitar acoustic music well she's the type of singer who i think can do anything anything she wants to do she can do any instrument she wants to play she can play right just incredibly talented yeah and lyrically you're just kind of drawn from one sentence to the next absolutely and i can't i really can't wait to hear envy of none i think this is going to be an incredible record yes i think so too it would be great if they would play some shows, because we're going to go to them. Oh, I think she's going to be able to do it. I think she'll talk him into it, at least a couple. Yeah, let's hope so. And we'll have to be there. Uh, we'll definitely be there. No matter where it is, we'll just go. Why not, right? We're going. We're going. And another thing that I noticed, speaking to Maya, is we're never going to get away from this, Jer. Sonic landscaping is here to stay, <laughs> right? I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Sonic landscaper. <laughs> You can find us on Twitter. We are at RushFanCast. Instagram, you can find us at TheRushCast. Email Jerry, TheRushCast at gmail.com. Let him know what you thought of our conversation with Maya Wynn. The bass intro and outro, that's Lex. Subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast app. And Jerry, I hope you have a great quote to wrap this up for us. Yes, I'm going to quote from her song, Overboard, because I think we all feel like this every once in a while if not every other day one too many things to hold on to over your head in the deep end off the deep end that's me (laughs) thanks jer all right see you later